Hello, everyone. This is the Toxic American Podcast. I am your host, Rudy, otherwise known as uh, Rudy with a permit on Twitter at Toxic American. To those of you that have listened before, thank you for coming back. And for those of you who may be new, welcome. The original intent of this podcast and me starting to basically yell into a microphone as a guy in his house, in his back room slash office, is I see a lot of people who are a little misguided on what it means to be an American, on what this country was founded on and why it was undertaken as the experiment known as the American experiment. I know that sounds very narcissistic, and I know that sounds very probably grandiose as well, but it's concerning to me that no one seeks out alternative thoughts. No one seeks out existential thinking or outside-the-box thinking. Um, If someone had to point to who the leaders of the um, American movement are as far as like maybe talk radio or something like that goes. Unfortunately, Sean Hannity's name comes up and I don't want to disparage a guy like Sean Hannity. He's built a great career. Um, he's done a lot of good, especially in his personal life, but to point towards Sean Hannity as being some sort of a beacon of American truth is just ill-conceived. And so this whole thing was, was started to get a, maybe a new line of thinking, a new wavelength, if you will. And it's not necessarily that I am always right. Although most of the time I am, Uh unless you talk to my wife. Um, but it, it, it is to also, let's just think about things. Before I start rambling too much more, the the point of today's podcast and the title of today's podcast is the Second Amendment for Convicted Felons. I put out a tweet on Twitter, or X. No, I'm still calling it Twitter. Elon could sue me or whatever he wants to do. But I put out a tweet that has uh, it's done some pretty good numbers, and it has become a hell of a discussion going on. Let's put it that way. So the original tweet, and I'll link this in the description, excuse me, below the podcast. But the original tweet says from me is you're not pro to a, if you don't believe felons who have paid their debt to society should be able to own firearms. Now, a lot of people have a problem with that tweet. And from what I can tell, the vast majority of people that have a problem with that tweet consider themselves to be conservatives or Republicans or at least right-leaning, possibly libertarians. Why do you have a problem with that tweet or that thought? Forget that it's a tweet. Why do you have a problem with that, that sentiment, that idea that someone who's been convicted of a felony 
has served their time, has paid their debt to society, if you will, quote unquote, paid their debt to society. Now, still longer, no longer is able to buy a pistol or a rifle from a legitimate FFL gun dealer, what have you. Why is that a thing? And if they were to purchase a firearm, uh, either illegally or some other way or 3D print one, they would be thrown back in prison if caught with it instantly. No questions asked, basically. I'm sure there would be some sort of trial, but it would basically be a formality that this convicted felon now has to go back to prison because they possess a firearm, even though we have a Second Amendment right that says we're allowed to own arms, keep and to bear, and shall not be infringed. Why is that a problem? Most of the consensus problem with that tweet, with that sentiment, seems to be that everyone wants to draw this distinction between a nonviolent felon and a violent felon. Okay, let's indulge in that. Most people seem to be able to agree that a nonviolent felon, someone convicted of a white-collar crime or, or something of that nature, basically nothing that is uh, that does with children nothing that does with murder and nothing that does with rape and uh, armed robbery and things of that nature. So if you embezzled, so basically if Bernie Madoff were paroled or let out of prison, then he would be able to own a firearm legally is what most folks seem to agree on, or at least that seems to be the comments. But why only that? Why only a quote-unquote nonviolent offender? Does a a a a pyramid a Ponzi scheme artist has more rights than someone who robbed a liquor store with a pistol? Let's say they're both let out. They both have been rehabilitated according to the prison system. Let's say neither of those guys are on parole or probation. They're free. You can do whatever. You can drink beer. You can drink whiskey. You can vote. You can do whatever. You can drive a car, you can get a license, you can get a job, you can do all the things, right? Well, why is it you're not allowed to defend yourself? That's a basic right, is it not? It's number two on the list if we're going to go in order. Does that also mean that that convicted felon, that quote-unquote violent convicted felon, has waived his or her right to the First Amendment? and freedom of expression and religion and speech and assembly and redress of grievances against its government. I mean, the case, the better case to make is that those convicted felons, whether violent or nonviolent, have given up their Fourth Amendment right to illegal search and seizure. Obviously, there's a, a path, a history in which they are criminal. They were convicted. So why should we trust that they're not keeping something illicit or illegal on them, their persons or their belongings? Why is that the thing that we say the nonviolent ones, okay, but the violent ones, oh, absolutely not? Okay, so let's indulge at the violent ones. Well, they might offend again. They might, that violent person, quote unquote, if they're allowed to get a firearm legally, 
Well, they might just rob another liquor store with a firearm. Take a step back, think about that for a second. I'm pretty sure when they robbed the liquor store the first time, that that was illegal to do, whether they had a firearm at the time or not. So if your argument is this criminal is too much of a criminal to have a firearm when they're let out, then perhaps this criminal is too much of a criminal to be let out at all. Let's start thinking a little bit deeper, everyone. If we want to extrapolate back into time, this is the same kind of line of thinking that got us to the point, basically, where we are now, and worse, where we were 10, 20 years ago when it comes to the topic of gun rights. 20 years ago, there was still an assault weapons ban in place. 20 years ago, you couldn't buy, you couldn't manufacture and sell a brand new 30-round magazine for an AR-15 or an AK or anything. 20 years ago, if by the, the craziest of stupid definitions that the federal government has possibly ever come up with, if a firearm had more than two specific devices attached to it, it was considered an assault weapon and couldn't be sold. That's how we got into that position of prohibited firearms. It's how we got into the position of the machine gun ban of 1986, if I remember right. It's how we got in the position of the National Firearms Act of the 1930s. You know, if you go back and you do your homework, the National Firearms Act, basically, in its infancy, its original draft, if you will, was created to get rid of pistols, which some of you are probably laughing because it didn't actually get rid of pistols. And it expanded and extrapolated and it got whittled down and it got, that's why you ended up with a law, the National Firearms Act, that is incoherent. It makes zero sense. It didn't really make sense at the time, and it certainly doesn't make sense now. This is the same kind of thought process that allows the ATF to willy-nilly pass a bump stock ban because Trump asked for it. They just passed a rule. Now, bump stocks are dumb. They're douchey. There really is no use for it other than kind of a novelty. But if some fool, some boomer wants to go get a bump stock and put it on his AR, he should be, or she, if you're so inclined, should be allowed to do so. It, it does nothing. It does nothing, really. Makes you less accurate. So I want you all to, to think bigger than what you know. I want you to think bigger than what you've been told. I want you to think bigger than what laws are currently on the books. I mean, we're living in a crazy time, and I mean crazy in a good way, in which that a Supreme Court decision 
that no one, or few, I shouldn't say no one, that very few thought would ever get overturned, got overturned in Roe versus Wade. This is a monumental time we live in. This is the time we need to start. If we're truly the pro-Second Amendment community, if we're the pro-gun community, if we are gun Twitter, whatever we want to call ourselves, this is the time to push. Push harder. Push further. Now, do I agree that someone who shot someone in cold blood, murdered them, and now is out of prison should have a firearm? Should be allowed to legally purchase a firearm? That's a convicted murderer. You're right, that is a convicted murderer. Why the hell are we letting them out if they're a convicted murderer? If it's dead to rights, cold blood, premeditated, why are they even getting out? Why is that a thing? If the state is going to dictate certain things upon us, that thing should only be dictated upon us when we have committed serious crimes. Not when you've committed a white-collar crime or a crime of passion or things of that nature. The, these crimes, let me, let me try to restate that. If someone murders someone in cold blood and is released and then they, they do it again with a legally purchased firearm. Are we blaming the person or are we blaming the state who failed us, the government who failed us? We're under attack right now from people in government and the crazies that back them, like the Mother's Demand Action and in Newtown, both of which I believe have blocked me on uh, Twitter, and other just just dumb organizations who are trying to make it to where we not only can't buy another AR, but we have to turn ours in. They're, they're in gun confiscation. Don't, don't fool yourself. Why is it that if someone commits an act with, a, with a, an AR-15, that you or I have to give up ours? Why is it that if a, a violent crime offender who's convicted goes to prison and pays their debt to society is released and commits a crime again, why is that a bad mark on us who have never committed a crime? Now, why is it also a bad mark on those who say you're 18 years old and you commit a violent crime you served 20 years, you're now 38 years old. I'm 39, I'm not the same person I was at 18, and I've never committed a violent crime. So to say that someone at 38 is exactly the same as they were at 18, and now you can never own a firearm ever again legally, I think that's wrong. And a bunch of people in the comments have said, well, the rates of recidivism, blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, is that a fault of that felon who is then let out? That the prison system is there not to rehabilitate, but to just house and make, as they have said in the, in the comments, make better criminals? 
Whose fault is that? Why is the failure of the state the problem of the people? Why is the failure of government to do their basic jobs, provide their basic services, why is that a reflection upon the people or the individual? If this person is that dangerous that they cannot ever have any means to protect themselves or have any means to just enjoy recreationally target shooting or hunting or anything of that nature, why are they let out in the first place? Why are they in proper society? Why are they walking the same streets as myself and probably most of you listening who have never committed those crimes, never even thought about those crimes? Why, why is that? We're going to punish a whole based on a small. I don't agree with that. Just as I don't agree with the anti-gun organizations wanting to punish all of us who might own an AR-15 because a few people have used that firearm in the commission of a, a horrific crime. I didn't do anything wrong. Why am I being punished? That doesn't make sense to me. Why do we punish the entirety of the United States or the entirety of a population based on the actions of one or two fools. That doesn't make sense. That's not what we are as Americans. One of the tweets that I, I, I tagged uh, Maj Torre, and I hope I said his name last name right, um, the founder of Black Guns Matter, he had one of the better takes on this whole deal. Of course he would. Pretty smart guy, especially when it comes to firearms and the Second Amendment. Uh, when I tagged in, in my tweet, he said, Agreed. The Second Amendment doesn't have an asterisk. Think about that one. The Second Amendment does not have an asterisk on it. It also doesn't have an age requirement on it. I don't see any of our rights listed here in the Constitution of the United States of America that I'm holding in my hand. I don't see anything upon our rights that says, unless you're a convicted felon, or unless you're of certain age, or unless this, or unless that. Age requirements don't start coming into the amendments until we get into what? The 60s? And it starts becoming about voting? Which brings me into the other point. Lots of people have said, well, just like voting, they shouldn't be allowed to own a firearm. Well, the problem with that argument is, and this is probably an episode later on that I can do a whole episode on this, is voting is a privilege, it's not a right. And I know there's a whole bunch of people that probably thought, wait, what? Let me say it again. Voting is a privilege. It is not a right. Not a right. I'll talk about it for just a second on voting being a privilege. If we're to believe, if we're to hold our founding fathers in the high esteem in which they should be held, that they wrote the first 10 amendments to the Constitution, which then or they wrote more, but the first 10 amendments ratified to the Constitution, 
on December the 15th, 1791, of speech, of arms, of even a no soldier shall in time of peace be quartered in any house. He even wrote the enumeration amendment number nine, the enumeration of the constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage. They were able to write these 10, ratify these 10, but they didn't ever add one that said there is a right to vote. Think about that. Were they not voting to ratify the damned amendments? But they never thought, you know what, we might we might should enshrine this this voting thing as a right. And the reason they didn't do it is because if you take what they say that our rights are inalienable, they're endowed by our creator. That government is nothing more than a necessary evil. There is no natural right of voting. Voting only exists when there is a government. The right to peacefully assemble, to speak, to worship the religion of your choice, keep and bear arms, all of these things exist without the pretext of an organized government. These things exist in nature. They're there. They are inalienable. They're endowed upon us upon birth. That's why it's not in there. So, getting off that, moving back into the the felons, guns for felons talk, if you will. To those who are disagreeing with me that, oh no, they've committed these crimes, um, or they, you know, our justice system is so irrecoverable. Our justice system is so broken that we can't possibly let these convicted felons have firearms legally. And then you want to add in lots of people have wanted to rates of recidivism. I haven't looked into that. It is what it is. Let me ask you all this question, those who disagree. Is there no path to redemption whatsoever? Especially those, you, those of you pointing towards recidivism, especially, allegedly, according to a lot of you, the more violent the crime, the more high the recidivism. Okay. Are we putting the horse before the cart in that scenario? It's a chicken or egg kind of thought, statement. If there's no path to redemption, why not just continue being a violent criminal? If there's nothing that can possibly be done, if there's no amount of time to be served, if there's no amount of money to be paid, well, why not? Do you expect these people who you've told and you have reinforced, even though they've served their time, are still second-class citizens? Do you expect them to go get a nine-to-five somewhere and just work? That's assuming they can even get the job, being that they're a convicted felon. Do you just, yep, just go get a job at a local factory, and just, you know, you're going to work your way up after your 20-year sentence, and you'll just be, there you go, 
or 30-year sentence or whatever the hell it is. Do you think that's how it's going to work? Or do you think that they're going to fall right back into the same line when there's no path to redemption? No path to redemption. What would you do in your own self if you had screwed up when you were younger? Say you're 20 years old. You did a 20-year prison sentence for a violent felony. Carjacking, robbery, you know, no one got hurt, but it was a, a felony and considered a violent felony. You get out and you're 40 years old. 40 years old. And now you're just supposed to go get a job and just do the thing, even though you're still a second-class citizen. Not allowed to even get a firearm. What kind of neighborhood do you think you end up in in that scenario when they let you out? Probably the same neighborhood that told you it was a really good idea at the time when you're 20 years old to steal that car or to rob that store. Is that the neighborhood you go back to? You think it's gotten better? You think it's been gentrified? Or do you think it's gotten worse? And do you think maybe there's an opportunity for somebody who's, I don't know, already a second-class citizen, is not allowed to own a firearm, has no path to redemption whatsoever, and that they should... Go get a job that doesn't pay very well and you don't like. Or should you just, you know, hook up with the dudes on the corner who will spot you. Maybe you can do some jobs for them and really earn some money. Hell, might as well get a gun anyway. Right? What's the path back, everyone? Think about it. You know, and I see a lot of the posts, too, talk about, you know, it. What about pedophiles going and teaching out of school after they serve their time? Are you serious? First of all, that already happens. Already. There are plenty of convicted pedos who have served their time who end up working at a school. Maybe not as a teacher. But they wind up there as a custodian, master of the custodial arts, or maintenance or some other form or fashion, and they end up at the school. That's happened a lot. So your argument's already dead there. And I would pose the other argument of, why is the pedophile let out? Why is the pedophile, it doesn't even matter if you work at a school. You have freedom of movement at that point. You can buy a vehicle as a pedophile. You can snatch up the kid as it walks home. You can go to the mall. You can go anywhere almost. Hell, you can go to the school. Yeah, they tell you you can't be within 500 or 1,000 feet or whatever. That's just words on a paper, right? Your argument is awful. Look. Even if you made that argument and you're listening to this, all I want from you is to think. I want you to think logically. I want you to think outside the box. I want to think out, outside of what you know now or what you have been told. I want you to think beyond it. We have rights that are inalienable to all of us. 
if we're walking around free, we have committed no crimes, or we have committed crimes and have paid our debt to society, we all have these rights, or none of us have these rights, okay? We either have them or we don't. There is no middle ground. There is no common sense gun reform, just as there's no common sense search and seizure reform, just as there's no common sense speech reform. The only speech that matters, as we all know, or the only speech that is protected is what some would call, quote unquote, hate speech. Because no one wants to get rid of the speech that we like, the speech that heaps praise upon us, the speech that agrees with all of the things that we think and all of the things that we believe. That's not hate speech. That's good speech, right? But the only protected form of speech is what some would call hate speech. Contrary to what you might have been told when it comes to speech, yes, you are allowed to yell fire in a movie theater. That's a thing. Now, don't do that. Don't be an irresponsible jackass and yell out fire in a movie theater. Even if there is a fire, pull the damn handle that signals a fire alarm. Let's everyone stop. Think about things. When you come ac across a tweet that you, man, I just got to settle that guy's hashtag. going to tell him how I feel right now. Maybe reread the tweet. Sit there. Think about it. Think about it. What are they trying to say? What are they trying to do? Are they trying to elicit a response out of you that maybe gets you banned off of the platform? Are they trying to elicit a response that just ups their interaction? Are they trying to elicit a response that maybe they're trying to get you to think? Or are they just trying to get you to fucking think? That is a thing, you know, you're allowed to think. I think we're still allowed to think in this country. Um, I've had a lot of good interactions with this tweet. Um, Hurt Feelings was a very good one. He was very early on. He's a really good dude. And... Sean Quigley was another good interaction. These are some of my mutuals. Um, they're my mutuals because they, they do think. They're not just puppets or patsies or, you know, someone told them X, Y, or Z, and that's just the way it is. You know, I don't have a lot of mutuals, or I don't only have mutuals that I agree with. I have lots of mutuals that I disagree with. But they're capable of having a conversation and they're capable of thinking and I've seen them be able to think before. I've had those conversations with them or I've seen that they've had conversations with other people that don't just divolve into ad hominem attacks or don't divolve into just uh, doubling down and pointing the finger, you know, or saying, oh, you know, 
one of the Lulbert's things, favorite things to do is the oh, Dunning-Kruger effect and then post a graph. Hey, dum-dum, that doesn't work. That might work on the, the run-of-the-mill idiots. That doesn't work on people that have a goddamn brain. We see that. You, oh, Dunning-Kruger effect. And we check out because we know who it really applies to. We know that someone told that to you at some point, and you marked the tweet, bookmarked it. Maybe you just took the picture and put it in your pictures folder. Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah. The, the shocking thing about this, or about the reactions to this tweet, are so many people who are supposedly pro-Second Amendment coming out and saying, no, felons shouldn't have that. No, they haven't done their time. No, because the Soros DAs are letting them all go. No, we can't trust. Guys, do you not hear yourselves? Think about this a little further. Let's take the same quote-unquote Soros DA that's letting people out, okay? Walk with me down this path, if you will, in your head. So the Soros DA is letting out violent felons onto the street, and they should be barred from having firearms, which we've already established. Probably not hard to get an illegal firearm, okay? Remember, they're already criminals, right? Haven't paid their debt to society. That same Soros DA... Do you think they would hesitate to ring you up on a gun charge or a violent charge? How's Daniel Penny doing right now? Does Daniel Penny, should he be allowed to keep and bear arms? Oh, but he's just, he's just under indictment. He's not a convicted felon yet. Guess what happens when you're under indictment? Guess what happens? Do you think Daniel Penny is a violent criminal? For those of you who may not remember exactly that name, he's the Marine who put the black guy in the chokehold in the subway, and that black guy passed away. Does Daniel Penny deserve what's happening to him? Let's think about this one. Let's think about Kyle Rittenhouse. Oh, but Kyle Rittenhouse was, he got off. He beat the charges. No shit, Sherlock. Think about that. What happens to Kyle Rittenhouse without that video? Ten years ago, Kyle Rittenhouse is in prison. Without a doubt. Ten years ago, I guess, okay, maybe. Twenty years ago, definitely in prison. Definitely. Definitely. Even with the video, they still tried to prosecute that man. It was obvious. We all saw it. He was attacked. Oh, but he shouldn't have been there. Oh, but he did this. Oh, but he did that. Look at all of the things they tried to lay upon that man. 
Do you think they wouldn't have gotten him without that video? Do you think that Kyle Rittenhouse, let's say Kyle Rittenhouse, the video doesn't exist. They got Kyle Rittenhouse, they ring him up, they get a conviction. Let's say they get a manslaughter conviction. Let's say they get 15 years on him. I don't remember exactly how old Kyle Rittenhouse is. Let's say he's 20 years old. He comes out at 35. Should Kyle Rittenhouse be able to own a firearm? Well, based on all of you, because he committed a violent crime of manslaughter, Rittenhouse wouldn't be allowed to own a firearm. We all want to jump to the, the egregious and to the outliers, and we want to point towards all of these, you know, these stories of people who, you know, restraining orders against exes and the ex comes back and kills the wife man kills wife or ex-wife i should say but you miss the bigger point why is that man who did that domestic violence thing and is still a threat why is he out let's flip it on the other side how many people, how many men have a domestic violence charge thrown at them, which is later possibly dismissed or thrown out, but have a restraining order against them, and now they're not allowed to own a firearm because of that? Do we agree with that? All of you that keep talking about these Folks who have served their time, have paid their debt to society either through a prison sentence or prison sentence and parole. You guys are basically arguing in favor of a red flag law. That's what it is. Now, is this a viable red flag? We can have that debate. They have committed a crime. Okay, fair enough. But don't lay the problems and issues with the judicial system, the executive system, or executive branch, judicial branch, and the prison system. Don't lay that at the feet of the people who get caught up in it. Don't lay that at the feet of someone who committed a white-collar crime and now is not allowed to own a firearm even after serving their sentence. They didn't decide their sentence. They were in the wrong. Maybe they pled guilty. No one's brought that one up yet. Someone goes in, pleads guilty to a felony. Boom. Okay. Yep. I'll do my time. Fair enough. Boom. Fessed up. Yep. I did it. My bad. Serves their time. Comes out. We have people that say, no, 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 you don't have that right. No, 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 no. No, sir, don't, no, no, no. You're not, you're not, uh, you're not going to study Islam when you get out. No, 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 we're a Christian nation, study Christianity. Where does it stop? Which rights are up for debate, which are not? In my view, no rights are up for debate. In my view, if you're free, you're fully free. Just as when emancipation happened, those folks who were former slaves were fully free at that point. 
fully free. They were fully free in my mind before that, but unfortunately, thanks to the British, using their system of slavery that they adopted and brought it to the colonies, there were those, loyal to the crown apparently, who thought that slavery was still a good idea. Is it not some form of slavery, indentured servitude, or something of that nature, when you tell someone who did their time for a crime they committed and they get out, that they now still are not a full human? Maybe they're three-fifths. Maybe they're four-fifths. But what you're telling them is you're a second-class citizen. You, mm, no, can't do that. All of us can, but you can't. I would even argue that Hunter Biden has every right to own a firearm if he actually fesses up, faces the music, does his time, does whatever. Maybe even if it's a plea deal. He should own a firearm. What'd he do that was so egregious? Stole a bunch of money, got a bunch of bagmans, was the bagman for his daddy? Okay. It's none of my concern. It is what it is. I guess one of the funnier parts of this whole deal is seeing so-called uh, libertarians come in and defend the state. That was pretty good. Um, if you have libertarian in your handle, in your profile, anywhere, or you claim to be a libertarian, and you come in to a rights debate, and you start talking about, well, there's no God, so th or there is no creator, or what is a creator, so rights are probably just deemed by a governmental body. I think you missed the point of libertarianism, bud. I mean, I'm no member of the Libertarian Party. I'm very critical of the Libertarian Party. Um, but I don't think that's what they stand for, pal chief. So, um, I guess in closing, the only thing I would say and the whole key to this whole podcast, the whole reason, the raison d'etre of doing this whole podcast is to get people to think. And I also hope that I see things that make me think. Lots of things make me think. I haven't always held this view of the Second Amendment and it not being abridged or infringed, period. I've had to grow into this, this belief that if you're a, a convicted person, felon, whatever, and you've done your time, you still have rights. You still have all of your rights. Because if you don't have all of your rights, then you have none of your rights. And if someone who is only three-fifths of their rights are allowed then none of us have rights because it's another wedge that the ruling class, that the elite, the whatever we want to call it, the corporate media you've used to drive a wedge between us average Americans to get us to fight with each other 
So we vote for the other guy in the uniparty system. I would also encourage people not only to think, but when you see these things on the Twitters or the Facebooks or the wherever, don't be the guy that just has to fire off, off something with an insult or ad hominem attack. Think about it. Come on, boomer. Think about it. When you respond to me with, oh, let me guess, you're a convicted felon and you want your rights back. Listen, boomer, go back to Facebook or get off social media. Don't come at me with that weak shit. Don't do it. You sound foolish. You sound insane. You sound just, I'm sure you're the same guy who's like, back to blue, back to blue. I'm going to put this back to blue sticker in my back window of my F-150. Bro, who do you think is going to come take your guns if they ever pass that shit? Who do you think is the one that they're going to task with the mask enforcement on the next pandemic? Joe Biden's not coming to your house. Donald Trump's not coming to your house. Nancy Pelosi sure as hell ain't coming to your house. It's going to be your local Smokey come to your house, kick your door in, and shoot your 70-year-old ass in your own home with the help, possibly, of an FBI team. Think about it, Boomer. Think about when I say these things. I'm not saying these things for me. I'm saying these things for we. We the people because we the people are this government and we the people control this thing and we the people if we ever unify in any sort of numbers we the people will get everything back and we the people will be the ones who tell the government what to do not the other way around